all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Skin care should be an important part of our daily routine. And as pediatricians, we see lots of rashes and different skin conditions in our kids and teens. May is also Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, just all things skin. I've got a couple of dermatologists on with us. I have Dr. Chelsea Mockley and Dr. Allison Cruz. They are both dermatologists at UMMC, and they're here to answer any of your skin questions. As usual, we'll be taking your calls, and if you have any questions or comments about skin conditions or any medical question in general, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always send an email as well to kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Mockby and Dr. Cruz. Thank you all for coming on today. Thanks for having us. We're excited. So tell us a little bit about what you all do as dermatologists. I feel like... Most people out there know what a dermatologist is, and they think of skin. Um, but just tell us a little bit about day-to-day, kind of what y'all typically see and most what most of your patients are. Yeah, so um, we see a lot of variety, which is one of the great things about dermatology. So um, in general, I think um, both Dr. Cruz and I see all ages. So we see kids, we see um, young adults, teenagers, um, on into the elderly. Um, typically, we see kids with, um, you know, rashes, common things like eczema, mollusca, warts. We see um, acne. Um, when, we, when we think about, you know, older um, patients, a lot of it is skin cancer screening and, um, you know, removing or treating those skin cancers. So that's probably the, the bulk of what we do day to day. And of course, um, more of the chronic things like psoriasis, things like that, that you um, probably have heard of as well. We, we see that um, too. Anything else do you think, Dr. Cruz? Yeah, um, you know, the nice thing about dermatology is that you get to see, uh, like Dr. Moppy said, you get to see a wide range of things and a wide range of patients. And so, um, you know, I have entire families that I see. I see the kids, I see the parents, I see the grandparents. And, you know, that's one of the wonderful things about our specialty. So May is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. And so when I saw that, I thought this would be a great time to bring y'all in to talk about skin um, because skin cancer is so common. Um, I have had a precancerous lesion, I guess they said. I think they it was, I don't remember, this was years ago. Um, but I know I was terrible with my skin growing up. I never wore sunscreen. I lived in the tanning bed. And now it just makes me cringe thinking about it. And so I think the biggest thing out there, a lot of times um, as adults and, you know, we don't, we can't go back in reverse. Right. So if we can try to teach the younger generation about how important skincare is and how important sunscreen is, uh, that's what we're trying to get across, especially with the Skin Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, so a few statistics I was just going to read because people out there listening, you may actually have been diagnosed with a skin cancer before because it says one out of five Americans are going to develop a type of skin cancer by the age of 70. I mean, that's... That's a lot. That's pretty substantial. (laughs) There's four of us right now in the room. So that means odds are one of us at some point are going to get it. Uh, So that's kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, Five million cases each year. So that makes it the most common cancer. But it's probably the most preventable cancer as well. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of times when you think about skin cancer, I mean, the big one that pops in everybody's head is melanoma, Mm -hmm. um, which, of course, is probably the one that's the most uh, 
aggressive uh, out of all the skin cancers. But there's lots of other, well, not lots, but a couple of other types of main skin cancers that y'all see too. So tell us a little bit about the types of skin cancer and what causes skin cancer. Why does the sun and UV light make skin cancer happen? Yeah, so um, you're right. Melanoma is the one I think that gets most of the publicity. Um, but and it is um, the one that is you know the most scary. But the most common skin cancer is actually um, a basal cell carcinoma, and then the second most common are um, squamous cell carcinomas. So we actually call these kind of in um, a clump we call them non-melanoma skin cancers because they're you know kind of a separate category <clears throat> and. In general, yes, they are preventable. They are um, associated with um, a direct link with with sun exposure and um, burns, sunburns, and so. Um, and we know that even you know, particularly in adolescence, that's even the you know probably the most high risk time. So it's very important to um, protect your your skin and protect your kids. Um, and these time these type of skin cancers though you know classically they're not like the dark scary um, like mole they're oftentimes just like a little bump that won't heal and so um, that's something I think that's really important for people to know if you have something that you know just won't heal or that's bleeding like dry and scaly um, that's certainly something that you you know want to get checked out. Yeah, I feel like that's a big complaint I see a a lot in clinic. I I mean, it probably happens at least once or twice a month. Somebody will say, I'll ask, do you have any, you know, concerns, any skin problems? And they'll say, well, I hit my leg on on something a while ago, and it's just not healing up. But it's okay. And I'm like, no. Sometimes it hasn't healed for two years. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of times you think you may have bumped it in something. Right. But sometimes it just brings it to your attention, and it might have already been there. Exactly. But I feel like that probably happens at least once or twice a month for me with my adult patients Um, because they just you just think you bumped your leg and you don't really think much about it but I think that's a great point is if something's not healing on the skin that usually means something's Mm -hmm. wrong and you need to go get that checked out and with um with basal cell carcinomas you know the type of um sun exposure is a little bit different with basal cell and squamous cell so Squamous cell um, type of skin cancer, we think of those coming up in patients that have had long-term, chronic, intense exposure to the sun. We see those in a lot of our older patients, but basal cell skin cancer, you're at risk if you've just had one really bad sunburn. Um, And so we see these even in younger patients. I've had patients in their 20s and 30s with basal cell skin cancer. So you might think that you're young and you're not at risk, but, you know, all it takes is one bad sunburn or a history of tanning bed used to put you at risk for those. Tell it, can you, I know it's probably going to be a little hard to describe seeing a picture is easier, um, but what, what should somebody look for for a basal cell or a squamous cell? Basal cells sometimes, particularly when they're on the face, they might look like an acne bump that might, you know, that, that's been there and it's not going away. The classic look of a basal cell is a small pearly papule, so a pink pearly lesion. Um, they can ulcerate. They have somewhat of a rolled border. But like Dr. Motby mentioned, they can also present as flat pink patches. They can have a little bit of scale. Squamous cells are usually firm. They can be kind of crusty. They might even look like a wart. Um, and again, they too, when they're, when they're early, they can be flat and scaly and pink. So um, there's a wide variety of presentations, but they tend to be pink as opposed to melanomas, which... Most patients, you know, kind of associate with a dark lesion. Yeah, so let's let's talk about melanomas too, because I feel like that is the the big one that we definitely don't want to miss. Um, and so, what are some of the things to look for? Because some people have lots of moles mm-hmm. and dark spots that can be uh, concerning, you know, because you just have a bunch of them on your skin. I, I'm kind of like that. I have a pretty good bit of them because I'm a little, I have a little bit darker skin. Um, so, what should people look for if they are a person that has lots of moles or darker spots in their skin? So, you probably, I'm sure, you may have heard like the ABCs of melanoma. That's kind of the. Um, I think that's a good tool though, just to help remember kind of things, basic things to look for. So, you know, we think about. Um, for a like the um, asymmetry so if you see like one half of like a mole looks different than the other half um, and then for B is border so if the border becomes irregular you notice that like um, one border side is of, of the mole is changing 
Um, and then the C is color. So specifically, not it's not always necessarily that it's darker, but if you see more than um, really more than two colors, um, particularly is concerning within one mole. So if you start to notice like some brown and some black and or some you know red and brown and um, you know different shades, then then that can be a worrisome sign. Um, the D actually stands for diameter, and the number we use is six millimeters. But really, more concerning than um, then diameter is E, which is evolution. And that just means that that mole is progressively like enlarging or changing. So if, it is it, if it's evolving, especially in adults, now kids' moles will grow, you know, as they get bigger. And that's, that's totally fine. But in adults, you know, that can be more concerning. Um, and then one other thing I think um, we, we say is like the ugly duckling sign. And so like if you have like one mole that just stands out, you know, and, and really doesn't look like the other ones, then that is um, a particularly worrisome feature. So that's something to be looking for. Yeah. So it's important to make sure you're checking your yeah. skin. Um, and it, how, how often do you all recommend going to an actual dermatologist to get a skin check to look for skin cancer? I think it depends on your history. Um, if there's a strong family history of either atypical moles or skin cancer, I think it's a good idea just to go maybe get your skin checked out um, once. If your dermatologist doesn't find anything, we typically don't expect you to come back every year. Um, I, I like to have my patients do a self skin check every one to two months. And that way, if they notice that something's changing, they can come back in to see us. But um, until patients start to have biopsy proven, you know, atypical moles or skin cancer, we typically don't recommend that they come in every single year. Well, we're going to take our first break and we're going to continue talking about skin questions. If you have any questions for our dermatologist or any medical questions in general, give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 672 And we'll be back after our first break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We're talking today with Dr. Mockby and Dr. Cruz, who are dermatologists at UMC, and they are answering any of your skin questions. We talked a lot about Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and we're going to continue talking about that and sunscreen use. But if you have any questions for them, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So before the break, uh, Dr. Mockby, you went over just the ABCs of melanoma and what to look for with some changing moles or dark spots in your skin. Uh, could you just quickly go back over that one more time, just in case some people are just tuning in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the ABCs, is a, it's a good way to kind of remember what to look for um, when you're doing your skin checks. So A is for asymmetry. So if like one half of your mole looks different than the other half, that can be concerning. And then B is border. So if the border becomes irregular, or you notice the border's changing, that's something that um, can be concerning. C is color. So um, it's not always just the dark moles. It's, it's more so if you notice more than two colors within a mole. So if you notice um, brown, black, and red, for example, or just different shades of a certain color, that can be um, a concerning sign. And then um, 
D stands for diameter, which the number we use is six millimeters, but more important really than diameter is E, which is evolution. And that means just that a mole is um, growing or evolving. And that's particularly worrisome in in adults because um, really those moles shouldn't be changing. Um, In kids, it's common. It's not really a concerning thing because the moles should grow as the kid, you know, as kids grow. But um, in adults, it's something to um, get checked out. And then the one other thing I mentioned is the ugly duckling sign, which is just a, um, you know, a phrase that we use to say that um, one mole just doesn't look like the others. Like it just stands out and looks different. And so if you have that um, or you notice one that just um, catches your eye more than the others, then that's certainly something that we want to get checked out. Looks like we've got our first caller. So we will go to Alan, who is in Mobile this morning. Hey, Alan, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing? My name is Alan. My Education is in medicine is by a training rather than degree, and knowledge is more or less clinical than uh, formal education. Now, I've got a couple of comments from having been a lifetime out in the weather and in medicine and this and that. Uh, the first comment is, oddly enough, and I'm not trying to seem sexist, but ask the women, wives, and mothers to try to notice their husbands or sons or whatever that are in the construction or outdoor uh, work environment. I'm in heavy construction, and I deal with old, excuse me, older white men who very successful, lucrative careers, and they go out and work with an old-fashioned little ball cap and a pair of sunglasses and direct southern heat, 100 degrees, 100% humidity and tremendous sunlight. And there's one man I just cannot explain to him to buy a cowboy hat or big brimmed hat. And he apparently is uh, fair skinned and red hair. You can always see the visible discoloration on his ears and face. But he's making plenty of money. He's doing his job. He's a really great uh, businessman. But you just can't tell these old men anything, and they're going to take and keep doing the same thing. Now, I can see down the road he's fixing to have a bad problem, but I can't do anything about it. That's one thing. You still there? We're still We're there. there. <laughs> okay. All right. Then. Now, this is, this is practical. And then we have some people that, again, heavy construction workers, big working $300,000 machines all day long, 400000 but they'll get out here and get their property, and they come from, say, like uh, Minnesota or Indiana, and they have no idea what uh, the plant Virginia creeper is. They think it's a decorative ivy, and it's not. It's as toxic as poison ivy, and it gets all over them. And if they happen to be type 2 diabetic, they'll get something that they can't get cleared up right away, and it is in almost endless problem if it's there with them from six months from uh, December through May. So that's another thing that some people just need education about. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for calling, Alan. We appreciate that. I think you bring up some wonderful points. Like it, it is very important if you work outside to be protected. Um, it's probably hard in the southern heat to wear long sleeves and pants when you're out there working. But if you're in the sun, that's going to be the best thing. If not, at least put some sunscreen on. Um, and a big hat, like you said, a, a baseball cap doesn't provide much protection, especially for your ears, for your neck. Um and so y'all probably can attest a little bit more to that. but And that's what we're going to talk some about, a sunscreen. Uh, but definitely that can't take the place of getting it like SPF clothes and making sure you're keeping your arms and legs covered. So thank you for calling. We appreciate that. Okay, bye. So speaking of hats, my dad, I can remember growing up, I was mortified because he would always, when he was working in the yard, because he has terrible skin, because uh, he was a redhead, and he would 
wear a sombrero. <laughs> we, had, we had gotten a sombrero. Yeah, I mean, we had gotten a sombrero at some kind of birthday party or something like that. So it was this cheap little dollar sombrero. But he swore that that That's was hilarious. the best yard hat <laughs> because it gave him the best protection. Right. It covered everything. It covered his face. It covered his head, his neck. Um, he's he's now graduated to a little more um, appeasing hat, uh, a little bit. Uh, it still covers his head and neck, and but at least it's not the sombrero. I right. used to be more <laughs> growing up with him working so in the funny. yard for that. I, I have no shame in my game. My, my pool hat that I wear has a brim that's like a foot long. The The back of it probably covers half my back so yeah well because you don't really think about that so I think that was a great point Alan that you said you you think you're wearing a baseball cap giving you some protection but it's really only covering the top of your head and maybe a little bit part of your face Uh, if you have any comments or questions we would love to hear from you give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 so I think Alan brought up a great point. Working outside, uh, it's the summertime. We're all about to be outside a lot more. Um, there's more activities. Our kids are going to be outside playing sports. We may be by the pool, the beach. So sunscreen is super important. And I think a lot of people probably have some questions about sunscreen. Uh, like what is SPF? What does that mean? What number should they be using? Are there different types of sunscreen? Um, so would you all elaborate on sunscreen a little bit for us? Sure. Um, So there's a couple of things you want to look at on the label when you're purchasing your sunscreen. You want a sunscreen that is um, broad spectrum that's going to block out UVA and UVB rays. Um, Those are the most prevalent rays that can contribute to aging and skin cancer. You want to look at the number SPF. So I typically recommend SPF 30 or higher. SPF 15 is going to block out about 92% of the sun rays. Um, SPF 30 blocks out about 97%. So that's a decent jump um, from 15 to 30. Once you get into SPF 50, it's about 99% of the sun rays. So less of a difference there. Um, If you're going to be outside, you want a sunscreen that's water resistant and sweat resistant. Um, I think it's an important distinction to make that there's no such thing as waterproof sunscreen. So water resistant sunscreen will give you about an hour of coverage if you're in the water or sweating. Um, After that, you need to reapply. And then there's different types of sunscreen. So I get a lot of questions about this from patients. Um, The ingredients make a difference. So there's chemical sunscreens. Those contain things um, like the benzones, oxybenzone, and then there's physical sunscreens. That's your more traditional zinc and titanium ingredients. Like if you think back to the 1960s with sunscreen, the white, you know, pasty nose, the, the sunscreens, the... The um, physical sunscreens have come a long way since then, but that's that's typically what most people think of. Um, so chemical sunscreens, they um, actually take the sun's rays and absorb them and convert them to heat. Physical sunscreens work like a shield, so they actually reflect the sun rays. Um, they both work. They're both effective. Um, different sunscreens are better for different people. My patients with sensitive skin, I tend to recommend a physical sunscreen because they're less likely to react. Um, Patients that are going to be, you know, playing sports or swimming, um, a chemical sunscreen does tend to be a little bit better there because the physical sunscreen will wash off in the water. We're talking today with dermatologist Dr. Mockby and Dr. Cruz. If you have any questions, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. And we've got a couple more callers, so we'll go to Alan, who's in Raymond. Hey, Alan, what's up this morning? Oh, oh. hi. Um, I appreciate you show, uh, showing everything. Yeah, thanks for calling. What's going on? I mean, it said kids, but then you say any question. That's right. Any <laughs> you can answer, you can ask us anything. Okay, last time I saw my doctor, I question about these kind of nodules on my body. He even said I might have a dirt nipple, <laughs> but when I went to the dermatologist, kind of said nah. And I like to get rid of them. Is, is, that, is, is that silly? Um, is that the only nodule that you have? Why there's three of them. There's three of them. I think it all yeah, just depends. Lower chest. They're all on the right side. 
What do they look like again? Oh, that's just that's my tactics in my a third nipple. Oh. Yeah, so some some um people do have what we call accessory nipples. Yeah. Um yeah. you can think of it like a birthmark. They come up along what we call the milk line, so they're typically directly underneath um your primary nipple. Um well the lower one is just to the outside of it uh, about an inch and there's one directly above it about four inches and then there's one that's just left of my armpit yeah i, I mean I would, big, but um i would I was trying to get conscience of them yeah that's yeah. what i was gonna say they, I, they they're not really gonna make that much of a difference you know it would be more of a cosmetic type thing so if that's something that you're interested in uh, it may be worth it i don't know if it did, if dermatologists would remove that but a plastic surgeon definitely would be able to help you with that as yeah. well especially if you have more than one um but yeah i mean i think if it's something that bothers you and it's something you're concerned about uh for cosmetic purposes you could uh, it's not going to cause any problem to leave them either if that's what it is if that's what your doctor said it is uh, but we appreciate you calling. Thanks so oh, much. Okay, I just would it leave a scar? So, in, anytime you cut the skin, you're going to have a scar. Um, it's hard to say for sure without seeing them in person, but they're typically small and they can be removed with a relatively small scar. Oh, okay. At this point in time, I don't really care. I'm not young. I'm not the type of pe- person that goes out to the beach and takes his shirt off. So, um, well, I'm just going to say, well, it, yeah, so well, be? yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Alan. We appreciate it. We'll go next to Hubert, who's in Jackson. I have had psoriasis for a number of years, about 25 years. And about five years ago, I started taking Humira. And it was uh, gave immediate relief, cleared up completely. And uh, within the past month or so, it's uh, I've had some spots coming back. Uh, two on my knees and uh, each knee and then uh, on my lower thigh. Uh, and I'm wondering, would it be any, a benefit to switch to another uh, drug type such as Hubara? Yes, um, that's a great question, Hubert. So, um, yeah, Humira is a great medicine. Um, it's one of the many biologics that we have for psoriasis now. Um, but it's really, it is actually um, not uncommon that after a number of years that um, sometimes they kind of lose efficacy. So I do think that um, particularly if that, um, if you're, your flares are not able to be controlled with like a topical medication that I do think that it would be um, worth seeing your dermatologist and, you know, considering switching um, classes of medicines because, you know, in the last, even just the last, you know, three to five years, there've been so many new medicines um, and continue to evolve for psoriasis that really there's just no reason to, you know, have to live with it and not have good control. So. Any suggestions on what, uh, what you suggest? Well, a lot of that can depend on your other medical conditions. Um, so it is definitely worth a discussion, you know, with your doctor. But there are um, Humira in itself is what we call a TNF alpha inhibitor. So it's a class of medicine that blocks that um, molecule. And there are other classes of medications um, that block other molecules or other pathways. So they, you know, target a little different pathway that involves psoriasis. So there's um, lots of medicines out there. You may, you know, have seen the commercials and heard of like Cosentix, Skyrizi, um, Taltz, Trimphia. I mean, there's so many now. Um, and some of it depends on, like I said, you know, if you have any other medical problems, some of them, um, or if you have joint involvement, you know, that treatment can be tailored more specifically for you. Good. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you for that call. And we'll go next to Danny. Hey, Danny, what's on, going on this morning? Hey, good morning. I, I wanted to follow up with the uh, uh, other man that called just a little bit ago about working outside all your life and, and things like that. That's what I've done. And uh, there is, like he said, you know, have your wife or whatever, your mom check you, because there's a huge stigma attached. You ain't tough enough. You got to put on a hat because you can't handle it and stuff like that. There's a huge stigma attached to that. You ain't tough enough. Now, of course, I tried to be a tough guy. Now, I'm on the other end. I'm fighting skin cancer and things like that. But there is a huge stigma attached. And 
uh, I just wanted to reaffirm what he was saying. And uh, actually, my ex-wife had uh, uh, found some on my back for me one day. And uh, I had some on my throat I didn't realize. And uh, VA cut that out for me because I served and stuff and been all over the place. And uh, I just don't know. You know, I, I'm here. I don't know what provider to go to around here. I'm in Southwest. I'm, I'm scared to go to Memphis, to tell you the truth. They want me to go to Memphis, VA, get this stuff cut out of me. And that, I'm not going to go in there unless I, get, unless I get an armed escort. I don't know if there's any good providers around this area. I'm near Selmer. If you mention health care providers around this area, and the VA will pay for it and reimburse them. But maybe it might be easier to find out an easy way for guys like me, whether they got VA or not, an uh, easy way where health care providers are at. And uh, so if you can mention that. But anyways, I reaffirm, and there is a stigma like with that. You know, you ain't tough enough. And and I want to add one other thing, if I may, just last comment. He mentioned folks from the north and stuff, right? And I have my folks are from the south, and they happen to move up north for work, and that happened to be where I was hatched at, where I was giving birth at. That doesn't make all of us Yankees. And we do get Southern uh, raised up there. Now, there are a lot of Yankees up there I don't identify with, but it don't make us all Yankees. And we ain't all dumber than a box of rocks, but most of us are. But uh, I was raised Southern, even though I was raised, raised up North, unfortunately. So, But if you do... Uh, if you can recommend health care providers around here, I mean, that'd be nice. Make it easy for us or something. But what is the what is if you don't have a primary care doctor, if you don't know where hospitals are, if you don't know where to get checked, what is a good way to go get checked? That's an easy path. If there's somebody just 10 miles away and you didn't know it, that might make it easy for folks. But listen, another thing, listen to your mama, listen to your wife. They might <laughs> see something, might want to go get checked. That's all I got to say. Well, thanks so much, Danny, for that call. We appreciate it. Um, I mean, I think you're definitely right. There probably is a stigma about that. That's not something that you really think about, but I'm sure there definitely is. And uh, Jay even mentioned there could be a stigma about just wearing sunscreen in general if you're not at the beach and are not by the pool. Um, a lot of guys, you know, probably see that as a weakness. Right. <laughs> you know, as we don't think about that as females, but that may be definitely something that they could think about. But uh, can't reiterate enough to the younger generation how important it is to wear sunscreen so if you can start with your kids and your grandkids then they really won't know much of a difference it's kind of ingrained into them I think one nice thing speaking of kids you know when I was growing up we all were you know in bathing suits out I probably rarely ever wore sunscreen every now and then you'd see the kid on the beach that had a t-shirt on because they'd had a bad sunburn but it's so much more common now the rash guards Mm -hmm. um, that have that built-in sun protection you see kids now all the time with those those are the type of swimsuits I put my kids in and it really makes it so much easier because it at least protects their chest and their arms and it's just kind of one less thing to have to worry about when you're at the pool for long days and reapplying the sunscreen and right having to pull them out of the water mm-hmm. reapply the sunscreen so it's just one nice thing i'm glad that we've kind of transitioned into that not being a you know kind of weird thing with kids it certainly has you know become more of a normal thing yeah yes i totally agree i even make my husband wear them now but that's probably not quite as common but <laughs> <laughs> um and i think that you both had great points about your wives actually or moms um I have so many patients who, you know, come in and, you know, their wife noticed this spot. Um, and so listen to your wives and moms. If they if they notice a spot, you know, um, they're concerned about, it, it is worth getting checked out usually because a lot, you know, more often than not, they're right. So Dr. Motby and I used to work with a dermatologist at the VA who used to have this quote. She would say, wives save lives. And that was always <laughs> because... Um, we saw a lot of the veterans that would come in and they would have something on their back that their wife had noticed that they didn't even know that was, you know, they didn't know it was there. And so Danny hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah. Uh, we got some more callers, so we'll go to Miss Sue in Beaumont. Excuse me. I hope you could answer two questions for me right quick. First of all, what happened to the uh, health departments in, in every county? It, it seems like they're, they're all gone now. Well, what happened that we don't have health departments now to do routine checks and 
I, I love the health departments. What happened to them? Well, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but if I had to guess, it would probably be uh, workforce and funding. Uh, that usually is what drives everything when things close is workforce and funding uh, would be my guess, but I'm not sure. Uh, Dr. Feldman's coming on with us in a couple of weeks, and he works pretty closely with the health department. So I'll try to ask him and see if we can get back to you about that. All right. And I want to ask you something else, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, a beautician that I went to one time at, at a salon, she found a, a funny-looking place on a man's scalp. I don't know if people know when you're looking for uh, uh, melanomas and things to check the scalp, too. Yeah, that's Absolutely. a great point. Mm-hmm. And also, can I say one more thing? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was really interesting because she saved this man's life. She found a melanoma on his scalp. But anyway, you, the man that was talking about sun exposure, I've often wondered, how did the Eskimos, before the advent of, well, civilization, how did they uh, ever get vitamin D when they couldn't take their clothes off? I can see in temperate, you know, or tropical climates how people can get vitamin D if they go out in the sunlight. But... How did people ever, How did, and people still look like in Siberia, how do they get enough sunlight to get any vitamin D? Well, that's a good point. They they probably don't, honestly. If you looked at their blood work, I'm sure they probably ha- are deficient in vitamin D. Just with how many people I know are deficient in vitamin D here in America that have exposure to sunlight. I can only imagine what they are there. But that's a good point. I don't know. So, well, thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> yeah, thanks so much, Miss Sue, for calling. We appreciate that. Yeah, you know, catching it in your scalp. I actually have one patient that uh, they had a melanoma in their, like, toenail, and they caught it at a pedicure. Yeah, um, it's really, it's, I had a patient just last week who came in with a, a lesion on his scalp that we ended up biopsying, and it was detected by, you know, the, the woman that was cutting his hair. Mm-hmm. And it had grown just since the last time I had seen him for his routine visit. Yeah. Uh, we'll go next to Becky and Jackson. Hey, Becky, what's I, going on? Well, I just have a, a question about uh, a rash. I have a, a fine rash. Well, it looks like bug bites on my back. And I had gone out uh, to uh, clear uh, my de- deck, and I had some what I thought was Virginia creeper. But now that I look at it, it was mixed up with some other kind of um, but, like, I guess my question is, how do you tell the difference between a topical dermatitis and, like, a rash from, I don't know how to describe it. It looks like bug bites, but then now it kind of bubbles up. So, you know, you can't get in with a derm- dermatologist right away. So I was wondering, should I get, will MEA do a scraping to see what it could be because it's only on my back and then it went away and then now it's back again and it seems like it's gone like in um in a, in a pattern like uh whatever it was bit me like on my back and under my arm then then twice in the front and then and then today when i woke up it seemed like i had two extra bites but i did go outside again yesterday so and i'm pretty allergic to a lot of things and i did change my detergent and so i'm trying to figure out what it is i know you can't tell me over the phone but give us a description of the difference between like a plant allergy and then topical dermatitis if you can yeah, so that's a great question. Um, it is hard to, you know, it is hard to say um, specifically without seeing it. But in general, you know, when we think about like a poison ivy type rash, um, those often can be um, bubbly or we, we say like vesicular, um, which just mean like little um, blisters or little vesicles. Um, and oftentimes, though, you know, they can have kind of a linear pattern um, or look like little streaks. Um, that can be a clue that it might be like a, um, a plant dermatitis. It is often um, very common that you will continue to see new spots pop up in different places. So I definitely don't think that that excludes the possibility that it's a poison poison ivy dermatitis or um, a plant um, dermatitis because that is classically kind of how that presents. Um, you know, this time of year, you're also, um, we're looking at, you know, starting to see a lot of um, mosquitoes and gnats. And so, you know, bites are a big thing as well. Generally, those are 
are more just discrete individual papules. Um, but again, um, you know, and they can have a, um, a blister involved if you have a, we call it a bullous insect reaction, but that's, that's not as common in adults. So um, the bubbliness that you mentioned, you know, sounds less like that to me. Um, and then just a dermatitis in general, that's really kind of a nonspecific word that we really use for most um, rashes, actually. Um, but I think you may mean sort of like an eczema type rash. And and that can be, yeah, from, you know, um, lots of things. But you talked about detergents and stuff specifically. So, you know, anything like that that you come in contact with that's different can cause, um, you know, and people that have more sensitive skin can, can cause um, a rash. So... I think, um, I mean, I think like an MEA or, you know, an urgent care is certainly, um, you know, they can usually tell the difference between, um, you know, those those type rashes or they can put point you in the right direction, I think, of who could help. Um, and also just your primary care doctor, if you have one, those are often a great um, resource, too, if you're waiting to get in to see a dermatologist. Could be my, like uh, either bed bugs, because I did stay um, in a hotel um, over um Mother's Day. And so, you know, I'm having the bug guy come out, which is freaking me out. But um, at least I think what I'll do, I have to wait till Tuesday for him to come. But um, I guess I should sleep in another bed maybe and see if it gets better. I don't know what uh, or maybe sleep in the same bed to see if I get more bites. You know, because I don't know. <laughs> so in general, um, bed bugs, you know, those bites are usually in covered areas. So like your back, um, those those are tend to be rather than like your arms and legs. So, I mean, that can be a clue. Of course, that's not exclusive to bed bugs. Um, you know, you can check underneath your mattress. Um, you might not necessarily see the bugs, but you might see like the droppings from the bugs. Um, yeah, I and, have. And the, and the girl who does my floors check too. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, because I was worried about that. So, um yeah, I'm thinking it's it's an allergic reaction yeah. to something. Well, thanks so much for your call, Becky. Hopefully you'll get some answers and some relief <laughs> soon. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, we'll go next to Dan in Yazoo City. Yes, good morning. I started to identify myself as Sombrero Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is this, this is my dad. Morgan's <laughs> father. And I appreciate her uh, sharing that story. I'm like the uh, other doctor said, I have no shame in my game either. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, but that story is uh, I won't lead into something a little more serious because I have uh, become pretty much a uh, dermatologist dream patient because I'm always having uh, procedures that have to be done and uh, I have graduated from normal um, uh, excisions and biopsies within the office to being referred to um, uh, a specialized dermatologist that does the most procedure and I thought maybe you could kind of uh, differentiate that for, for your patients and uh, kind of explain um what's going on there but uh, I, I for years uh, had numerous uh, basal cells that have graduated to squamous cells and uh, so I have had some referrals there uh, uh, for that procedure uh, I just thought I would uh, kind of introduce that and ask number one if y'all did that and if you didn't what are the uh, indications for referring a patient to have that done I think that's that's a great topic to bring up. So Mohs surgery is 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 the name of that. It's M O H S. It's actually named after the surgeon who invented invented this type of surgery. We typically use this in dermatology, um, where in in places where we want to conserve tissue. So, for instance, if a patient has a skin cancer on their arm, we'll cut a pretty big margin around it and send it off to the lab. Um, and have them check it over the next couple of days. But if a patient has a skin cancer on the nose, we don't want to just go take a four millimeter margin around it. Um, We want to take as little of tissue as possible. And so um, a surgeon who specializes in Mohs surgeon will typically take a very small margin, maybe just one millimeter around um, the biopsy site or the skin cancer And then while the patient waits, that tissue is processed and looked at underneath the microscope. And if there's any skin cancer left, the surgeon knows exactly where to go back to take more tissue to ensure that the skin cancer is completely excised. So 
um, it not only is tissue conserving, but it also has the highest rate of um, cure. It has a 99% cure rate, which is wonderful for patients, not only with skin cancers on the head and neck, but um, particularly aggressive types of skin cancers or patients that might be at higher risk if they're immunosuppressed or have genetic syndromes that make them um, at higher risk for having uh, poor outcomes with their skin cancer. Yes, that's exactly. Uh, it seems like most of the Mohs procedures that were done on me, the surgeries, were on my uh, face right? Uh, and, and in those areas. Right. And, uh, and they, the appointments were a little bit longer than the normal um, excision appointments in the dermatologist's office because they had to do the uh, uh, microscopic examinations and then come back and, and get more wider borders, as you say. Right. But, uh, yeah, I just think that's something that people need to be aware of, that the earlier they tend to these things, the, uh, the less they'll have to go through on the back end of it. So uh, I enjoy your show. I yeah. really appreciate Y'all covering all these topics today. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Uh, we'll go next to Sarah, who's in Newton. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for Hi. hanging on. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, I um, had this, uh, uh, it's been, uh, I suppose, about 10 years now. And uh, they cut, there's uh, on the uh, left side of my uh, face, uh, between my eye and my ear, there, there were two tiny little bumps, and I kept picking at them. At, this was about ten years ago, and when it kind of uh, uh, broke, there was a, a, a very like rotten egg smell to it. So I did have those uh, uh, taken out complete. Well, they supposed to have been completely taken out, but evidently they they weren't because uh, that back and i keep you know when they do come back uh, i push it and and that same terrible smell comes out but uh, i don't want uh when i did have that surgery and the uh, i had went to the store after that later and it was bandaged and you know, it started bleeding and everything and it was such a, a bad experience uh so what i'm saying is uh uh could i just keep um you know, when they uh, uh, just uh, letting the uh, liquid come out of it, or should I, uh, what, what do you think I should do? Yes, so um, so those are epidermal inclusion cysts. So they're a really common, just, you know, epidermal cyst, um, and it has that very classic um, odor, you know, and they will continue to, um, you know, to fill back up for most people. Um, and when they're, they're cut out or excised, um, particularly if the full wall of the cyst is not removed, um, they have a, you know, really high recurrence rate. And even when it is, sometimes, you know, they can come back. So they're not harmful. They're not cancerous. So it's totally fine to just leave them there. Um, you know, particularly, it sounds like if you, you know, had a bad experience and don't want to go back through that. Um, you know, if you wanted to have them removed, they would have to be um, cut out again if you wanted to have it fully removed, though. Just mashing it out will not... Um, get rid of them you know completely but it's certainly they're not harmful just to leave there either yeah well that's what i wanted to know yes ma'am but i i just wanted to ask real quick uh on a, a child that's uh uh about four uh uh he's having these uh uh lesions that come up and uh but they disappear and, and they're like well, I say lesions are like whelps, and like uh, he had taken a shower, and the whelps were all over his back, and his mother took a picture of him and everything. But see, uh, just uh, within thirty minutes or whatever, it was they were completely gone, and uh, I've seen them like scratch his face wherever he'll scratch, or maybe a whelp come up and. And then a little later, it will be gone. Do you know anything about something like that? Uh, have you ever heard of it? So it sounds like you're describing what we call urticaria, which is the medical you know, word for hives or whelps, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, they're somewhat common. We see it in patients of all ages. They can be caused by a variety of different triggers. Um, sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's medicines. Sometimes it's a preceding viral infection. Um, 
you know, about 50% of the time, we never identify a trigger. Um, certain medicines like antihistamines, such as Zyrtec, can be helpful in those cases if, if you're not able to identify the trigger to remove it. I would recommend um, bringing that up with his pediatrician, and they can start the initial workup and possibly get him started on some treatment if it's necessary. Yeah, thank, thanks, Sarah. We got one. We got just a couple minutes left, so I want to make sure we get to our last caller. Uh, we'll go to Orain. Yes. Good afternoon. Yeah, we got just like a um, minute left. So, uh, well, I was gonna say, back in 1974-75, the U.S. Air Force sent me to uh, Thule, Greenland. Uh, this is in response to that lady wondering if they have sunlight and stuff like that, and how they got their vitamin without sun. Well, we had sun there. I did learn to eat raw walrus. They did try to change the color of my skin by rubbing to see if it was real. And there was sunlight up there for the 11 months that I, well, a part of the 11 months that I spent up there. And um, the fruits that the military provided, uh, the, the packet of things from Natick, Massachusetts, um, did a good job. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the sun shines in this part of the world uh, just like it shines in the Caribbean, where I'm from. That's why it was odd that I was sent to Thule, Greenland. Huh. Um, you know, so wear a cotton long sleeve shirt if you're out in the sun, and uh, that takes care of the problem. At least it minimizes it, and that's all I wanted to say. I'll stand, uh, stand off and listen. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks so much for calling and sharing that. That's that's so Interesting. I didn't realize walrus was a source of vitamin D. I, I didn't either. <laughs> not not something that I have ever even really thought of. So that's that's very interesting. We appreciate you calling and sharing that with us. I can only imagine what it would be like going from the Caribbean to Greenland. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Well, thank you so much for calling and sharing that. Um, we do have just like 30, 45 seconds left. Anything that y'all want to add or how can they reach y'all at the the um, dermatology department at UMC if they have any more questions. Do you have a website? Um, yes, there is a um, UMC dermatology website, and you can certainly schedule, you know, an appointment um, with a, if you just call um, the main line um, for UMC dermatology. Um, we both work there along with many other great dermatologists. So, um, do you have to have a referral, or can you just call and self-refer? Yes, yeah, so, I mean we're happy to see you without a referral. Some insurances do require a referral, so you could, you know, when you call to make an appointment, though, they can definitely let you know about that. So. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on today. And thank you to all our callers. I feel like we had some wonderful calls sharing some wisdom and things that they have found to be helpful. So I really appreciate that. And thank you, Dr. Mockby and Dr. Cruz. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. We enjoyed it. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I think Michelle McAdoo was our call screener, so thank you. Um, I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.